Hello, welcome to the fifth episode of the National Gallery of Ireland podcast series, The Island A Prospect. My name is Mark Canton. In this episode, I speak to Dara McAnulty, 15-year-old autistic naturalist, conservationist, writer and environmental activist, as he brings me on a walk up a mountain. So where are we? We are in Donard Park. Yeah. This is at the foot of Don Mountain, which is the tallest mountain in Northern Ireland at 850 metres. 850 metres? Yes. And, yes. Uh, and it's in the Mourne Mountains, is that right? Yep. And the Mourne Mountains are a great big cluster of quite tall mountains. Yeah. And you can see them from miles off. Yes, you can. They're, and they're quite distinct yeah. as we were driving oh, yeah. up. They're very barren uh, uh, yeah. above the... Above the tree line, very, yeah. they're very rocky kind of mountains, aren't they? Yeah, as soon as you get above like the area where the trees stop, yeah. it's because of the high winds from the sea. I think this is this. Oh, uh, is that why? And it, it, it's basically erodes all of the surface, so all that's left is really rock. Yeah. And you get, as a result of this, massive tours. And um, so exposed mountain tops which we might be able to see from down here if we get past the tree line which you've yes. warned me that many have failed before you've never yes. actually made it to the top of this mountain is that no right? i have not made it to the yeah. top of this mountain well i doubt we're going to make it today then on our no little stroll this may be a document of a fantastic yeah. journey yeah <laughs> and i think the reason that we don't usually make it up is because the path is flooded. This, like, we're pretty much walking through mud yeah. now, aren't we? Yeah. It was a very nice path for the first minute of this conversation, and now yeah. this is just a mud trail. Basically. And it, so when we did it, it was dry. Yeah. And the path above was flooded. So... Yeah. I'm not entirely sure what it's going to be like once we hit the top. Sure, we'll see where we get to. Yeah. Um, and so this is a deciduous forest, is that right? That we're walking through? Yep, at the moment we are in a mostly whoop, whoop. deciduous forest. And But as we go up and we kind of hit this second almost level of forest and, it, and again it goes back into that coniferous plantation. We get into level. coniferous yeah. because I think it's because um, at that level, deciduous. I think we've got to go around here. Okay. This the deciduous start to struggle a bit, but yeah. and the coniferous trees completely outcompete the deciduous ones. Yeah. But down here, it is amazing for wildlife because of the amount of deciduous trees. Like we have holly. Um, what else do we what have? What are we looking There's at here? Lime trees. Lime trees? Oak. Li when we say lime trees... Not the fruit. Not the fruit tree, sadly. Uh, why are they called lime trees? Or um, why are the limes called limes? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's a strange question. Maybe it's... The leaves kind of look like a lime. Oh, yeah, they are kind of... They're they kind of... Lime green, yeah. They sort of look like a lime. Yes. Whoop. Whoop. <laughs> Uh, so we got oak trees as well. Yep, we have oak trees. We have some beech. They are non-native and they do kind of take over a forest a bit. Ah. But they're better than, but they're better than coniferous trees. 
<laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So, there, I mean, do, do, uh, coniferous trees, I guess, different kind of animals survive within yeah. them. Is that why? Actually, in why would you prefer conif- why would you prefer the because with the- coniferous basically nothing survives really it covers out all light so plants struggle yeah and their pine needles are not very edible to most insects so the insects struggle breaking them down so you just lie on the ground at an imp- impenetrable layer yeah of just dead of dead uh, needles okay. and this results in basically uh, just no life living in around them. But with the deciduous trees, the beetles and the bugs... We're going to this way. Can, oh, yeah. So this is where the path starts to get a little bit rougher. Yeah. Um, and you can see the actual roots have been exposed because yes. of the amount of walkers that have came through uh, here. Oh, okay, yeah. And, they've been, and the actual soil and itself has been eroded away. Yeah. The rocks, I think they've He's, been put here. They've been put here as a path. To make a path to yeah. try and protect the roots a bit more because we don't want the roots to be completely destroyed yeah. if we kill the trees. Yes. So, yeah, so that wildlife diversity is something yeah. that you're interested in, is that right? Definitely. Yeah. Because to have the biodiversity and all the different species which come with a deciduous woodland really really oh that sounded that was a wren oh yeah i'm pretty sure i heard a wren there yeah but we can't just listen blackbird human human (laughs) saying everybody (laughs) all right um thrush Now, one of my biggest enemies, considering these type of woodlands, and the thing that seems to ruin absolutely all of them, is the infestation, and I really don't like them, is the rhododendron. Ah, really? Now, these plants are completely... They're worse than conifers for life. Really? Like, they may look pretty. They do. They're the ones with the big purple flowers. Yeah. But they get everywhere. Like... Once you start, once you plant them, they just keep on going. Like you can see here, it's yes. There's they just some keep massive on ones going beside us, on and on and on, and up and up and up, and they actually change the acidity of the soil to an in to no life can basically live there anymore. Right. And it basically just poisons the ground. And are they, do you know, are they non-native to Ireland? They're from the Himalayas. Oh. So they, so nothing can eat them because as you can see here, their leaves are waxy. Yes. And basically indestructible to most mouths. I, I have to use some effort to actually rip it apart. Yeah. And so this means that it's, and it takes ages to try and get rid of it. Yeah. So once it's there, it's really hard to remove. And this is where the river starts to get a bit louder. <laughs> yeah, so we can, there's a big river. Well, no, it's not that big a river. It's but not it's, that big. It's, it's loud. It's crashing river. down some rocks. Yeah. So uh, the listener is going to hear that. 
Yeah. Uh, don't worry, that's not a problem with the microphones. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's fine. But I, I'm pretty sure they can still hear us. Yeah. <laughs> and so this area of the path is probably one of my favorites. Yeah. Because it's the one that you usually get to see the most of. Oh, yeah. On the, because you get to see it twice every walk on your way up and the way down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what can we see now? The same? So we're kind of going to a thinner track here. It's becoming a lot more wilder. Yeah. And you have to pick your path carefully at this point because yeah. they kind of diverge and mess around with you and some are dead ends. And, I f and some paths like crumble. So... So and that wildlife diversity yes. that you're talking about, you're kind of, you've been campaigning to keep that stuff. I mean, you're generally yes. campaigning to keep a, a decent second. amount of nature in our lives. Is that right? Yeah. And you can see here that the river most likely used to be here. Oh yeah. Because amazingly smooth and flat. Yeah, it's rock. Slabs we're, of we're, rock here. We're walking on rock, and it's uh, you can see where the yeah, and the it's, river. It's all kind of all, all the um, all the lines eroded. are in one di direction. Yeah, yeah it's been eroded. It's all flowed down this way, and the river here, it's quite close now. Yeah, it's a raging river. It's yeah, yeah, it's pretty fast. Yeah, um. It's only small, but I wouldn't want to jump yeah. in it. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as we get further up, the actual river starts to cut straight down into the rock. And yeah. forming these, like, gorges, which are incredibly dangerous. And I would not like to fall down into one of them. No. Because <laughs> it would most likely be a 10-meter drop. And <laughs> that would not be the most pleasant experience. A 10-meter drop into a raging river. No. I'd be happy enough without that. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you know much about the history of this mountain or, or the what we're walking through? Like, how how has it changed since humans have have come in here? Do you know? Well, the roots of these trees never used to be so exposed. Yeah, they have been the dirt on the trees has slowly been taken away and eroded away by the foot, massive amounts of footfall here because thousands of people come here every year to yeah. climb the mountain because yeah. it is the biggest mountain in Northern Ireland. Yeah. So it's like, oh my God, I climbed Sleeve Donard. Woo! <laughs> um, I think the equivalent, the, the, the Republic of Ireland equivalent the more mounds would be the McKillicuddy Reeks. Yeah. I think that would be the base equivalent Similar mountain size. range. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> so, this point, because of the massive amount of footfall, there's not a lot of dirt left on the path. Yes, we're so, just looking at rocks now. Yeah, it's Climb just rocks. a lot of rocks. And it, makes it it's quite a almost it's not too dangerous of a yeah. path but it's very very easy to slip and break your ankle yeah well please don't <laughs> and i hope i don't either yeah. 
Um, so how, did you, how have you ended up uh, here by the Mourne Mountains? Because um, I believe you, you initially you grew up in the city, is that right? Yeah, so I used to live in Belfast. Yeah. And I lived there for about nine years, yeah. I'd like to say. And I felt like I was trapped there. Yeah. So I decided... Why, why did you feel like you were trapped in Belfast? Well, like, there wasn't very much nature there. Yeah. And, I was, and you kind of feel so enclosed and you couldn't really move around too much. Yeah. And because like, it's a busy city all around you. Yes. And you feel uh, a great need to get out there. Yeah. Get into nature. So, after nine years of living in Belfast, I think I, I, I just got a bit fed up of it. Yeah. And so, and we wanted to move cl closer to my mother's family, so we moved down to Fermanagh. Okay. And we lived there for about five years, and we enjoyed a different mountain range. This one was the Kulka Mountain. Yeah. And I love that mountain. Yeah. Oh my so way. it felt very different to you. Yeah. To, to the life in Belfast. Oh yeah, it was astronomically different. And now you, I could like roam around hills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and fields. Was it at that point that you started learning about nature? Like, and I did start yourself, learning in Belfast by picking up feathers. Totally. Whoop. Whoa. Here we go. Okay, let's try not to break my ankle or fall down ball ankle today. Please. <laughs> that would be I absolutely be, awful. Yeah, I wouldn't be happy about that. No. I want that on my conscience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How was the interview? Pretty good, but uh, the yeah, subject was... did break his ankle. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're, it looks like we've got a change of forest here. Yeah, now we're moving into this plantation and you can see instantly the change. Well, I, let's just yeah. stop again and try to listen for some birds. So last time we heard about 10 different species of birds. Now, nothing. No, can't hear anything. So I think that scientifically shows <laughs> that, is, uh, that yeah. conifers are absolutely rubbish for birds yeah. and other wildlife. And you can actually see it's just, it, it looks like a barren wasteland here. It's a lot more brown. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah, left, left leaves around. Looks a bit more dead. Yeah. And that's basically because most of it feels dead. Yeah. And. But these uh, conifers, do you know if they were put here by humans or are they just, they just naturally they grow here? Are put definitely, most definitely put here by humans. Ah, okay. Because we know this definitely because the only species of conifer tree, actually there's two species of conifer tree that are native to Ireland. Okay. The yew and the juniper. Yeah. And that's, there's the list there. And there's, there's the list, yeah. Yep, so they're, they're, so, and these are not juniper or yew. Otherwise they would be buzz, buzzing with activity and life. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> so conifers can support life. They can, but just, but just these pines these are, they're pines, all right. They're a bit useless for it. Yeah. And you can see the results of it. So, any idea when they were put here? Oh. Are they grown for foresting or? I'm pretty sure that they're grown here for foresting. Yeah. And they're probably put here, oh. 
Oh, this, this, is a, this is a tough question. Well, they were put here at some point. Yeah, probably a couple of hundred years ago. Okay, right. I'm probably wrong about that figure, though. Ah, sure. I'll be fine. Listen, you know more than me. <laughs> oh, the only other plants that I can see now are the rhododendron. Base, yeah. Because they're the only ones that can survive, because they can survive basically anywhere. Yeah. Because they're from Mount Everest. So. Yeah, yeah. So if you can survive there, you yeah. can survive most places. Yeah. <laughs> and would you like to see these trees taken down? I would like to see them all replaced with deciduous trees. Yeah. Because we, we, we've learned from the, comparing the bird song that deciduous trees are obviously a lot more better than yes. these pines, which are just full of death. And, yeah. and what do you think is the uh, attitude towards wildlife generally in, in society now? Do you think we're becoming aware of, of lack of diversity and these kinds of things? I do think um, awareness is coming back. Oh my God. That was not cleared when this, I think this proves that it was, that they do harvest this. Because, oh, because they, yes. this was not how it was when we last saw it. Right, so yeah, we've walked out now into an area where all the trees have been chopped, chopped down. Yeah. And actually it was there that I saw people in the middle of January, jumping in, jumping <laughs> to, into the, the river. To the river. And it was a most extraordinary sight. I was, we were just walking, coming down the mountain, and it was just people in boxer shorts jumping into a, a river in the a, 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 a <laughs> river in the middle of winter. Yeah, <laughs> well, it would wake you up. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's an attitude to uh, nature that uh, yeah. uh, some people have. <laughs> yeah, it's... So, you, so you've been going out and uh, you've been giving talks and speeches about nature, is that right? Yeah, I've been doing some talks and yeah. about nature. And you have your own blog as well. Yes. What do you find is the reaction to that kind of stuff? I've gotten a lot of warm responses yeah. to my nature writing. But I think my favorite like talk that I think I've ever done yeah. was at the Isle of Man. Right. Because they were so enthusiastic about it. Really? They were probably my, that was my number one favorite speech. Wow. Right there. And, and what did you say to them? I was just talking about how their connection to nature really matters because they had just been made um, a UNESCO biosphere the first whole entire island to be made into one. Oh, really? And I was going over there just to talk, do a little speech at the end of their Manx Wildlife Week. Yeah. And they're probably the most engaged, um, active population of people I've ever seen. Really? Mm-hmm. And why do you think they are particularly engaged and active? Because, I think it's because the government and their whole way of life has been oh we'll we'll make it we've we've found ourselves out of stream towards loving and loving nature and being around nature all right can and you get across there here we go it actually doesn't look too bad today in terms of what yeah 
Oh. Is it? It doesn't look too bad. Ah, well, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> maybe we'll make it to the tree line this time. Just maybe. Maybe. That's, that's half a success. That's a very we, big maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, so yeah, so we were saying about the Isle of Man. Yeah. And I think if we could do that same sort of idea of agencies and governments taking more active role in education especially. Yeah. Because if you teach people from a young enough age of how brilliant nature is, they're obviously going to be a bit more engaged with nature. Yeah. That's logical sense. And you feel like uh, at the moment education system is falling short? Oh yes. I have some horrible, horrifying stories of how nature has been removed from the curriculum. Yeah. I, I remember we were doing a worksheet in primary school. Yeah. Primary school's especially bad at this. And there was a nature and science side to the sheet and she had just told us to cross it out because it wasn't going to be used for our transfer test, which allows us to get into secondary school. Really? You can actually, there we've passed about like 11 or 12 walkers. Yes. Maybe more. And it's a school, school day. And there's a, the car park is packed because of a sports day going on. Yeah. Yet there's still loads of people here. So yeah. you can kind of imagine, start beginning to imagine what this place is like on a busy day. Yes. In summer or bank holidays. So do you think people should be leaving nature alone? Absolutely. Or is it good to have people here to experience it and see why it's valuable? I, I'm, I, now this is a, it depends on the situation. Yeah. So here I do believe that, that everybody here should come out and enjoy Darner Park and Darner Mountain. Yeah. But just to try and minimize their effects on the, on nature. Yeah. And perhaps that, education and knowing yeah. how you're affecting nature. Yeah, that you're that you are eroding down the roots, which could damage the roots. Yeah. And as you can see here, even here now that we're really high up, the roots are still completely bare. Yeah. And, whoa. Now, this is like a puzzle game, isn't it? Of how we're going to get across this. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a maze of rocks. Yeah. It's not much of a path. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, we're going to have to jump across the stream here. Yep. We'll make it. Wow, uh, look how high we are. Yes, we've got a great view now. That's... We can see the sea. And that's... And beyond. Spits just out there in the distance is Murloc Nature Reserve. Yeah. Owned by the National Trust. And that is an absolutely amazing place. And it's got some of the best dunes I've ever seen there. Some of the best what? Dunes. Oh yeah. So they have marsh fritillaries there, dark green fritillary, which are incredibly rare butterflies. Oh wow. And I have seen ringed plover and oh what else have I seen in Merlochta? Uh, lizards. Lizards. One of the few places you can find lizards. Yeah. Here. What other amazing things I've seen in Merlock? There's so many I'm like trying to think of the best ones. Yeah. Go curly.
curlew. So you do get curlew there. Yeah. Windbrawl, egrets, little egrets. And it is probably one of the most biodiverse beach areas that I've seen. Yeah. In this part of the world. Yeah. So if we, I think we're gonna have to cut stop after a little while because yes. the bog is about to encroach on okay. us. Okay. <laughs> so we're gonna reach the bog soon. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we made it quite far. We have. So as well, this is a National Gallery of Ireland podcast. Yes. Uh, so kind of, we're talking about landscapes in this series, yeah. but we're also talking about art. And yeah. do you think art has an important role to play as part of education or inspiring people or about nature? I really do think it does yeah. have a massive effect on how people perceive the world. Because when you see an artist's impression of the natural world, it gives you a new, almost viewing glass, looking glass, on how they perceive that world. Yeah. And I think that when you see all these different ways of viewing a certain, a certain object or creature, you, you get more attached to that creature. So... Yeah, so you see different depictions of depictions of, of something and, and is there anything is there any particular kind of art that you oh are drawn towards well I do oh this is a hard maybe question not. this is a tough maybe question not. yeah I, I think I saw on your blog that uh, you reciting a poem yes is that a poem that you wrote that is a poem that I wrote. So you like to write poetry? I do like writing poetry. What, um, what is it about poetry that, uh, that you enjoy? I think it's just the way that you can sculpt and craft words into a piece of art that's beautiful. Yeah. As well as being... And, wow, I'm... Just, by the way, I don't think I've ever... I've never been here never before. Never been here before. I don't, I don't know where we are. Well, we'll be able to find our way back down. Yeah. So, so oh, I know exactly where we are. Oh, right. geez. <laughs> <laughs> this could be interesting. So we're going to walk along the very, very smooth water run surface slab of stone Rock. again. Yeah. It, um, we're still amongst the conifers. Yeah, the conifers will be keep on going okay. up until the tree line at this point. Oh, uh, we're going we're to turn around there and head back okay. down that hill. Okay, because the tree line is only just over there. It's so. just there, so we pretty much made it. We, we would say that we made it. It's an achievement of sorts, listen. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you were saying like that you're, that like in poetry, arranging words. Yeah. And something, something that you enjoy. Yeah, and I think like some of my favorite poets, especially Seamus Heaney yeah. and Kavanagh, yeah. are probably two of my favorite poets yeah. because of the way that they depict nature yeah. in such a beautiful way that really resonates with me. Yeah. And when you see how someone else, I think it's the same with art, as you see how other people perceive the same thing, but they put it in such a magical way with their words. Then you, 
it illuminates it in a yeah. way that you haven't thought of before. Yeah, it's, and it opens up new areas of your mind to how the world works. Yeah. And, and would you would you similarly see that in visual art, like yeah, statues or paintings or? Yeah, I think you could definitely see that inner workings of nature when you view a painting or sculpture yeah. in a different way. So it's almost like the picture's the same, but it has a completely new, different meaning from the same, exactly the same thing. So... Sorry, say that again. Yeah, I can. So for example, I was, um, I did some, uh, I was, I went to my eco club, which I kind of run. Yeah. And one of the teachers who helped me run it um, said, after listening to some of the way I spoke about nature and some of the poems I said to them. Yeah. They looked, they heard the bird song in a completely different way after that. Mm. And I think that is. What was it that you said about that? bird song that you found and I, I just it was I kind of explained what the bird song meant right to from bird to bird what they're trying well, to communicate yeah. and when you learn that new inner working of how the wor- the nature is working yeah every time you hear that sound again it's going to be completely different and a whole new experience so what are the birds saying to each other Oop, well it depends on the time of year okay so let's say a breeding season. Yeah. Let, actually, let's just go just before breeding season. Before they've even found a mate at this point. Yeah. And I'm talking about songbirds here like robins and blue tits. They'll yeah. be calling to establish a territory. Yeah. So they're saying, basically, every time they're calling, they're saying, this is my land, get out. To all their, say, of the same species. Yeah. And then as soon as you go into the breeding season, where they're trying to attract a mate, they're all going, look at me, I'm the best singer. Come on, see. Right. And so first, establish your territory yep. and then see if you can... Find a mate. Find a mate. And then, but then you're always constantly trying to keep that territory as well. And are there different songs for that, for those different purposes? Or is it the same song, but with a different meaning? I'm not entirely sure oh, okay. about the subject. Yeah. But I think at different times they do have... I think that does reinforce the point that at different times the same song could have a different meaning and a whole different perception of it. Yes. Even though it's exactly the same song. Yeah. It means a completely different thing. And I think that's especially true in communication with humans. The same word, exactly the same word, can sound yeah. completely different. Yes. Depending on how you express it. Yes. Even the same sentence can mean... Yeah. I'm sorry, when you were, so you have this uh, geo club, is that what it was? Uh, it's an eco club. Eco club, sorry. Yeah. Um, so you, you were t- talking to the eco club and you described the way yeah. the birds communicate and their reaction there or the, their attitude changed. Yeah. And some of, most of them kind of went back out and they, uh, and I remember them coming in to me saying, I think, I think I heard the birds calling about their territory today. And so they might have come back to me maybe weeks before and yeah. told me I heard the birds singing. Yeah. But now they're saying, I heard the birds calling about their territory today. Yes. 
So they knew a little bit more. Yeah. And it kind of changed their world in a way. Yeah, because every single piece of information, knowledge you gain completely changes how you view the world. Yeah. I think that is a truly special. Uh, whoop. Whoa. That was close. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are off road here uh, yeah. having this uh, interesting discussion while also trying to trying navigate to our not... way across slippy rocks. Yeah. So, I think like just making down the mountain a two piece in, in two in two pieces. In two pieces, if one piece. I mean, if one piece is 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 a lofty goal. If we make it in two yeah. pieces, we'll be happy enough. Yeah. <laughs> Like, because like we are connected by microphone, so yes. Um, so what are, what are your plans for the future, Dara? So you're, I believe you're writing a book. Yeah, and I will be releasing the book in. I think it's going to be released possibly next year. Yeah. And I'm really really excited for that. I'm just finishing off the first draft. What's that book about? So it's a diary of how I perceive the world yeah. in my way and a tale of um, my problems with mental health issues and other things that have been going on in my life. Yeah. And also me describing my landscape and my connection to that landscape. And it has been... And I, when I was coming over some of my areas of where I was in a real bad state... Yeah, uh, it was hard. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to write about. Go over to re- go back over those memories. Right, and, those and raw that memories. Was, if it's not too prying, like that's yeah. Was that with uh, unhappiness or that was with at odds with the way the rest of the world was? Well, I was going under some really really bad bullying at that time. Oh, okay. So I was in a horror, horrific state. Yeah. I had to take time off school because I couldn't, I couldn't even go to school. Yeah. And everything was just going wrong at that point. But nature was actually the thing that brought me out of that. Mm. Cataclysmic disaster that I'd been going on in my brain for all that, for about four months. And I think, and it was, uh, that time was really bad. Yeah. And and actually, the second worst time for me, another really bad time for me that I think I do touch on in the book, is when I moved from Fermanagh to the Morns. Mm. And I remember feeling the most amazing, the most poignant sense of homesickness that I never, ever gotten before. Really? I, I was probably in a horrific state like from just missing from Anna and not being able to go across the limestone in Killy Keegan yeah and when I was doing that it was not <laughs> but I, I I got over it today I discovered the morns yeah and the morns brought me back out of that feeling sad that I didn't have the Kolka Kolka anymore yeah so twice nature has kind of Brought me out. Um, yeah. And would you think that uh, other people might find a similar... Absolutely, definitely. In, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because nature does have a soothing effect on our brains. It really, I believe that it really, really does help 
people with how they view the world and how their emotions and how they feel is really helped along to a sense of mental stability by nature. Yeah. And how it affects us. So I would definitely recommend if you're feeling down, go into a forest. Yeah. And you'll be as right as rain within at least 15 minutes. Yeah. And if you're feeling horrible, um, again, once you leave the forest, just stay in the forest forever. So. <laughs> if you can, find if a way. If you can. I tried that. So where, what kind <laughs> of, where is your house now? Are you, are you out in the countryside? Do you uh, have semi. forest near you? Semi. So I live in Castle Wellham town now, and, but we have an amazing forest park right beside us. It is just a walk away from my house. So whenever I'm feeling down, I just go straight into the forest. Yeah. And everything and that was going wrong just washes away. Yeah. And we get red squirrel there. So, and red kites are a big creature there. Yeah. Because the reintroduction pro project in Northern Ireland was actually started in Castle Island Forest Park. Okay. So we have quite a good red kite population there. Kite, uh, that, is that a bird? Mm -hmm. Red kites. Red kites are a bird of prey raptor. Okay. Raptors. And they are actually the bird that really got me into nature. That, really? that was when RSPB came to my school, primary school, with their, and they were, uh, it was about, I think I was in about P3 at that time. I don't know what that is in down south in you were what age i was yeah. about seven seven and the uh, rspb came in to our school and they started talking about the red kite project yeah yeah it's been going on for that long yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been going on for quite a while yeah you're you're uh 15 now is that right yep i'm 15 now and it was that project that really got me into conservation Mm. and loving nature and if you could uh, if you could go anywhere in the world is there any particular oh. piece of nature that you'd love to experience Whew. so I've always wanted to go to a rainforest yeah but ooh. so if I could go anywhere yes I'd probably go to maybe like Antarctica. Really? For the basic reason that there's, it's all just monochrome colors. Yeah. And I'm autistic, so I don't like big colorful, colorful, colorful scenes. Okay. I like everything a bit dimmed down and actually the green that we see in forests yeah. is actually just a perfect color for my eyes. Really? And so is white. So when I'm out in the forest, especially actually my favorite season of the year is winter. Yeah. And my most hated season of the year is summer. Yes. That is probably the, the opposite of out. most people. And so you wouldn't actually enjoy flowers that much? I absolutely, I do really, really enjoy flowers. Yeah. It's just that when all these colors are bombarding my system and it's really almost painful. Yeah. But when I hit winter, all the colors have been dulled down. Yeah. And I can, I come out of myself at that point. I, my body's not focusing on trying to deal with this sensory assault yeah. by all these colors and senses. 
now they can just all be peaceful and I, and I get more energy and more happiness during winter. Hmm. Which is probably... Unlike a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and is that something, like, is that overload or that bombardment something that, that brings you down that you'd need to go out to the forest like we were yeah. talking about earlier? That overload is probably the spawning ground of most of my issues. And where, where would you get that from? Like, would you find that in technology or...? I would get that, I would find that overload in to- social interactions mostly. Right. So talking to people. Yeah. Like we are doing right like now, doing now. In the middle of summer. <laughs> yeah. In summer. Well, it's fine though. It's, it's fine. okay. It's okay. We're in the forest. Yeah, that's, I'm in the forest. That's, that's kind of counteracting the, yeah. the stress from social interaction. But... Social interaction, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, loud noises and just, just my ears being bombarded constantly. Um, bright colors really hurt. Orange is my most hated color. Really? It really hurts. I'm so glad I haven't worn orange. <laughs> that color, I, I, and I remember I was doing a conference, social interaction um, with an orange carpet. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just... I actually had to leave the room. Oh, Robin. Oh, little Robin. Oh. I mean, speaking of orange, you're okay with Robin? Yeah, like, it's, it, they're, that's, it's a small it's splash. small amount of orange. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's only like when you've got, like, an entire carpet of orange or, like, a massive sheet of orange in and front of me. And you know what it is about orange that, in particular, sets you off? I think it's just the brightness of it and yeah. it's just contrast. It's not the usual colour that I'm used to. Yes. And it's not what my brain is accustomed to. So it's a whole new sense, sensory input, that sends my brain going absolutely insane. I, do you know that in history, cultures tend to uh, name the colors in a particular order? As in, orange is one of the last colors that humans perceive. Yes. So that's why we call them Robin Redbreast because the color orange used to be called red or red yeah. ed- red-headed people have orange hair. Yeah. I wonder is there some relationship between between that that, oh, that it is a later color to be discovered. Oh. And it's also a color that you find particularly uh-huh. Maybe difficult. it's because humans aren't as accustomed to that color and I'm just feeling that just a bit more than yeah. most people because of my autism. Yeah. Because we all know that green has been a colour that we've lived for, for for hundreds of thousands of years. Yes. For hundreds of thousands of years. So when we, so when I see the colour green, yeah, that doesn't trigger any type of stress. Yeah. And I think that's also why we get more relaxed in the forest because that's where we evolved in forests as hunter-gatherers. Yeah. So maybe that's why when you're in the forest, you feel more at home and relaxed. Mm. Because that's where... People often find, when they can see a long way, they find that relaxing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Would you find the same thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends if I'm going that way and I have to walk all that way. Then that, yeah. <laughs> that can be a bit stressful. Yeah, but uh, like we saw above, when we could we, see when the... We saw Murloc, that was yeah. beautiful, wasn't that's, it? it was yeah, really absolutely. Relaxing. It's a, a breathtaking view, but you would find it the same. Yeah, definitely. Because you do get that sense of achievement that you've walked all this distance. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that sets off that you and that sets off those endorphins, hormones, happiness, um, hormone in your brain mm. off. And I don't know. I think, I we think we're down here and then we go right. And then we're uh, we're nearly out. Yeah, we're we're almost back at where we started. Yep. So when you're when you're out in nature, do you keep records of what you're seeing and and that kind of thing? That really does depend on what I'm kind of seeing. Yeah. So sometimes I do take it down in a little notebook. Sometimes I tweet about it. So if I see something real cool, then or I've visited a absolutely amazing, beautiful place, then I'll tweet about it. Yeah. And get it out onto the internet. Hmm. Or if it's just your everyday. I see a robin. I, I I frame that on the picture in my Here, mind. Here, I think if we head up, okay. if we head up, sorry, this way. I frame that almost picture in my mind mm. of the robin. So when I'm and in this way, I can get quite a good memory of what has happened. Yeah. Through most of my life, because. So you take a mental picture. I take. Sometimes I take mental pictures. Sometimes I take like a notebook. Yeah. And if I forget my notebook, then I have to resort to an amount of pictures. Would you, do you, would you take uh, actual photographs? Yeah, I try to take photographs. At the moment, our camera's a bit out of action. Oh, yeah. Because the zoom's broken on it. But we're getting... We're, we've found an old camera, so... Yeah. And is that <laughs> systematic at all? Do you, do you keep uh, logs of that kind of stuff? Or is it just what you come across is what you come across and yeah. they can just become memories? Yeah, I think that is it. And when I know something's really special, if I remember it like five years later. And yeah. So what are some of those things? I mean, you said the red kite was something. Red that kite. I remember that. That's exact when the RPB came over. When I first saw a hen harrier. A hen harrier. Yep. They are probably my most favorite birds in the entirety of the entire world. Wow. And what's special about them? Well, there's so few of them, they're incredibly rare. And when you see the male, which is a uh, gray color, it's like a ghost just traveling over moorland. Yeah. It is the most incredible, beautiful, magical thing that you ever will ever see. And once you see that sort of thing, you yeah, never it. forget it. Oh no, maybe we're good. And that was what made the Isle of Man incredible because they've got an amazing hen harrier population. Really? They've got more hen harriers um, than Northern Ireland and probably and England combined, but they're about <laughs> well, I a tiny see a, size. Well, I want to a hen harrier now. Yeah. Maybe I need to go to the Isle of Man. Yeah, the Isle of Man is the best place I probably know of that you can see hen harriers. Yeah. I think I saw on the Isle of Man about eight hen harriers. Wow. Which is about two times the amount. Four, actually, that's... Well, there's about... Yeah, that's four times the amount that's in England. The amount of breeding pairs that are in England. There's... You saw eight, and that's four times. So there's two. So there's two breeding pairs. That's about. There's about like. There's about six birds in all of England. Wow. So basically, what has happened is these birds have been persecuted, yeah. shot, poisoned, because they like to go on grouse moors, and the groundskeeper of the of the grouse moors see them as eating the grouse. Right. And so. So they kill the hen harriers wow. illegally. Yeah. And that has been a massive problem for the hen harriers. Yeah. So what actually, one of my biggest projects and campaigns was where I, because raptors, birds of prey, have been disappearing 
all over the show because yeah. of illegal persecution. So I decided to launch a project and I walked over Kolka about 45 kilometers over bog and mountain yeah. and raised 6,000 pounds. Wow. For, rap for sat taggy raptors where you would take a satellite tag and put it onto the back of a raptor so you could track exactly where it is. Yeah. And so if it, go, if it disappears, then we can get in the rapid response team to come, uh, to come really? after them. There's, I mean, there's a team ready to go. There is a team. We ha Here we have the Northern Ireland Raptor Study Group. Yeah. They are absolutely amazing. And they are the people who will actively go out and protect our amazing raptors. Yeah. Uh, so what they will do is, so they're the people who keep all the numbers and like the tracking yeah. of all the bird, different bird, of all the birds. So, how do I put this? So they also do, um, they go out and try and find the people who are committing the yeah. crime. How do, how do what's, what have you found is the general reaction of people to um, what you're doing and, and your campaigning and stuff like that? The general, reaction has been absolutely amazing yeah and I've had a lot of support about it there have been some Egypts who say some stupid things to me mm. um, okay. I once got a message that I've been brainwashed by cultists oh. <laughs> wow. um, was that on Twitter or that something? was on Twitter oh, of course yeah so yeah. There are some... But to the best of your knowledge, you haven't been brainwashed by cultists. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no. The only person... I, because I am a teenager, and mm -hmm. you can't tell us what to do. If, <laughs> if, if anybody true. has any sense, they'll yeah. say, wait a second, he's a teenager. How could anybody <laughs> be telling him what he's going to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try and get him to do his homework. Yeah. <laughs> if the cult can convince you to do the homework, then yeah. that's... Uh, that's a high achievement. up in the morning, yeah. Yeah, but I do... I enjoy school now. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Great. I think, yeah. I think that's it. Dara, yeah. thanks very much for being on the show. <laughs> You're welcome. This episode was presented and engineered by myself, Mark Canton, and produced by Jenny Taylor and Brina Casey.